Let me uh, introduce to you uh, Rocky Anthony. We're so thankful that he is uh, with us again. Um, thank you, Rocky. Rocky's been uh, one of my pastors uh, back at Second. And I tell you, Sunday night was my favorite time of the week because Rocky preached the word on fire Sunday night. So thank you so much for being with us, brother. It's, it's a joy and honor. Thank you. I appreciate that. It is nice to be back. <clears throat> Some of you are uh, maybe returning from spring break. Some of you wish you were on spring break. I understand that. Uh, I am neither, right? Um, I've given up on spring break a long, long time ago. Um, it is good to be with you. And I, I'd like to begin. I'd like to begin this morning with a question. It's a question that will take us into the theme that we will be looking at for the next two weeks. Um, The theme that we'll be focusing on for the next two weeks uh, really will be around this idea of seeing, seeing Jesus. Uh, This week, seeing Jesus, uh, the healer. Next week, seeing Jesus, the forgiver. But you're you're wondering, well, what's the question? I don't want to lose the question. Here's the question. How how many of you would be willing to admit that you have at least one area of your life, maybe it's a painful memory, maybe a physical affliction or an emotional scar, maybe a, a relational heartache, how many of you would be willing to admit that you have at least one hurt that you would love to have healed? Is there anyone here who has a wound, maybe one you've been carrying a long time, that you would love to have Jesus heal? As one who's been involved in ministry for well over 25 years now, I know that there is brokenness, deep woundedness, pain, heartache all around me. And I know something else. I know that uh, numbers of you uh, have carried that kind of heartache with you even as you walked in the room this morning. Maybe it was an emotional scar that goes way back to your childhood that's never really been healed. For others of you, maybe like me, it's physical pain, chronic, robs you of sleep. It keeps you from doing many of the things that you love, things that you used to do that you can no longer do. Still for others, maybe it's, it's relational brokenness. Maybe it's because of the death of someone you love. Maybe it's divorce. You gave your heart to another person only to have them tear it apart. Relational brokenness, a severed relationship, maybe between you and a parent or a sibling or a child, or maybe struggles in a marriage. So let me ask you again. Where do you need the healing touch of Jesus this morning? 
Because, you know, it's not so much a matter of what to do if we experience this kind of heartache or brokenness. It's really more of an issue of what to do when that happens. It's part of our own humanity, not if we are going to be hurt in this world or if we're going to be wounded. It's really more of a question of what to do when that happens. Where do you go? Where do you go? And we're going to see this morning that there's really only one place to go, and that's right into the arms of Jesus. And so this morning, we're going to place ourselves under the authority of his word, and we're going to see in a fresh and and beautiful way how Jesus responds to broken, wounded people who turn to him. Before we read our passage, Luke 18, 35 to 42, we're going to pray and ask God to to bless the the ministry of his word through the empowering, uh, illuminating ministry of the Holy Spirit. So let's just pause as as we open ourselves up to the truth of God's word and the work of the Holy Spirit who will prepare us for what God would have to say to us this morning. Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning uh, as beggars looking for bread. We, we, we come to you with our brokenness, uh, our, our woundedness, longing to experience uh, your healing power. In these moments, we ask that you would, you would clear away anything that would keep us from hearing your voice. Please uh, open Open our eyes that that we would see. Open our ears that we would hear. Uh, Prepare our our hearts and our minds to receive these words uh, of of life from you. This is our prayer this morning. And we pray that in in the beautiful name of Jesus, our Savior, our, our healer. We offer it in his name. Amen. Amen. So our gospel lesson, Luke 18 reading from uh, verses uh, 35 down to verse 42. Hear God's word. As he, Jesus, drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him Jesus of Nazareth was passing by, And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, 
gave praise to God. This is the word of the Lord. Now, I want, to, I want you to imagine for a moment, I want you to imagine what, what life must have been like for this blind man that we've just read about, because if we miss this, we miss the real power of this amazing encounter. So, what would it mean to be blind in the ancient world? To begin by saying it meant that this this man's whole world, his identity, his vocation, his entire life would be defined by one thing, by blindness. That's all he'd ever knew. Because of his blindness, somebody else would have to provide for him, move him around from place to place to care for him. The sense of uh, uh, independence that we prize so fiercely, he'd never know. To make matters worse, there was nothing that could be done for him. Obviously, no retinal surgeries, no special prescription glasses, no treatment centers, no hope as far as he knew, just blindness. There was no way for him to contribute to society. He would have to go through life as a beggar. That was his existence. Each day, he find his way to this spot by the side of the road, day after day, month after month. People would pass by. He'd hear them and say, please, will you help me? Could you spare some chains, just a few coins? I can't see. I'm blind. Anything will help. That was his script. And because he was a real person, we know this about him. He would have dreams this man would. Sometimes maybe he'd, he'd dream that he'd have sight, that he'd walk around maybe without stumbling Maybe that no one would have to lead him around in his dreams. Maybe he dreamed about being able to do good work with his hands that he could contribute to society. Maybe in his dreams he dreamed that he'd be married, that he'd have a family, play with his children, see the faces of those he loved. He'd dream and then, and then he'd wake up not even knowing if it was day or night, because all he knew every day, all day, was darkness. He had no money, no job, no influence, not much of a future at all. He was just survival, this man. He sits and hopes for a few coins, some spare change, enough to feed his stomach, and then he'll get up the next day and do the same thing again and again and again and again. Think what it would be like to be this man. And if the sum total of his condition wasn't bad enough, you may know that it was a common belief in Jesus' day that if someone was born with a handicap or to have developed a handicap, it was believed to be part of of their sin or maybe the sin of their parents. Somehow it it made it feel better uh, to think that that, um, their suffering was somehow uh, deserved. Generally, in those days, people believed that there was a, a cause-effect relationship to sin and suffering. So that's part of what this guy faced as well. He spent his life with people trying to ignore him because he was blind, and that was depressing for people. He was a beggar, so that was demanding for people. 
And, and he was a product of sin, people thought, so that was disgusting for people. Hmm. And yet this man, this man who was judged and marginalized and ignored, we learn, hmm, was just the kind of guy that Jesus was looking for. And we love this about Jesus. One day as he sits in his place on the side of the road, outside of the town of Jericho, Jesus walks by. Jesus is on a journey. He's headed toward Jerusalem. He's told his disciples about the events that were about to unfold. The mockery, the abuse, ultimately his own death. And now as they continue on this journey toward Jerusalem, they they reach Jericho, which is about 15 miles away from Jerusalem. Ancient Jericho was about 800 feet below sea level, filled with streams and and lush trees. It was actually referred to as uh, the city of palms. Think of it as the original Palm Springs. Jericho. So for those on their way to Jerusalem to celebrate the the annual uh, Passover feast, Jericho would have been a very popular place to stop and to rest before their last-minute journey toward Jerusalem. And as Jesus makes his way toward Jerusalem, he passes through this little town And as he does, he has what we would call a a divine encounter. We know from Mark's gospel that this desperate, forgotten, blind man has a name. And it's Barnabas. And as we walk through his story, this encounter, I, I want us to see how Jesus responds to broken people who, who call out to him for help. And I'm going to tell you why this matters. Are you with me? Because this is not just an old story where Jesus stops to help a desperate blind man who calls out to him for help. See, this is your story. This is my story. And as we walk through this encounter, I want to just very briefly pour out pull out for insights that we need to keep before us as we face our own need for divine healing, whatever that need may be. Four key words that I I want you to take with you, and I, I you I want you to take them with you so badly that I would hope that you might even pull out a pen or a pencil and write them in the margin of your Bible somewhere next to this story, because they really matter. Four key words about Jesus' identity, Jesus' invitation, Jesus' inclination, and Jesus' intervention. I'll give you those again. But let's dig in and start with this first one, Jesus' identity. Jesus' identity. See, blind Barnabas hears the commotion. He asks someone in the crowd, what's going on? And Luke is very uh, purposeful in the way he records this. The response from someone in the crowd, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, verse 37. Not just Jesus, but Jesus of Nazareth. Why is that significant? Well, you see, Nazareth 
was just known to be a tiny hick town. We've learned from archaeology that it was only about 10 acres in all. I've been there, 10 acres. Just to put that in perspective, you know, your property here where Grace sits, it's about six and a half acres. Don't know if you knew that. I learned that this week. (laughs) Just a little bigger than this property, Nazareth. About 200 people lived there, and they were all very, very poor, very poor. And that explains why when people learned that Jesus was from Nazareth, they would say, Nazareth. Hey, can anything good come from Nazareth? I mention that because because, uh, it's not an endearing comment. It's said with an air of contempt or disgust. It's just Jesus. You know that that one from Nazareth? Don't get your hopes up. It's It's no one important. But do you notice what happens next? creates the real drama of the encounter. The blind man hears this. Hey, it's just Jesus, that guy from Nazareth. Hey, don't get your hopes up, blind guy. And yet without hesitation, he cries out again, verse 38, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front of him, most likely Jesus' own disciples, rebuke him and tell him to be silent. Hmm. But that didn't work. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me? See, Luke is pointing out something very significant here, that in spite of the man's physical blindness, he sees Jesus. He sees something in Jesus that the crowd around him, fully uh, able to see, (laughs) doesn't see. That the Jesus who is passing in front of him is not some poor carpenter from a hick town in Nazareth. No, he understands something much more about this man. He sees Jesus' true identity. That he's the one who came to deliver and heal people, restore people, people just like him. Messiah, Holy One from heaven, have mercy on me. And because this blind man knew something of the Jesus in front of him now, he knew Jesus was his only hope. Savior, heal, deliverer. Please don't pass by me. Please heal me. And so he shouts, and he keeps on shouting. And as we learn from him, here's here's what I want us to remember about this point. You will never come to Jesus for help, are you with me, unless you're convinced to the core of your being that he has the power to do anything to change anyone, and to intervene in any situation. We need to remember that the eternal Son of God, the one who knit us together when we were in the mystery of our mother's womb, the one one who went to the cross to pay for the guilt and punishment of our sin, past, present, and future, his identity, his identity, that he is the inner seeder, 
the one who constantly prays for us, telling the Father what we need. He is the one who quite literally, who has gone before us to prepare the way for us in heaven so that we might know the the never-ending affection and love of the Father. You see, if we lose sight of Jesus' identity, we lose perspective on his role in our daily lives. It means that we won't come to him with our brokenness and pain and in our desperation. And the truth is, the truth, we often don't. Let's be honest, instead of running to Jesus like blind Barnabas, we've manufactured all sorts of ways to deal with our pain and our brokenness. Sometimes we just complain to our friends or to our spouse. Sometimes we just live these frenzied, stress-filled, anxiety-ridden lives. Some of us medicate with alcohol or prescription drugs because it just numbs the pain. Others, maybe it's food or shopping or pornography. For others, it's compulsive workaholism and just incessant busyness. See, here's the good news this morning. Jesus knows and cares about the heartache in your life as the Savior and healer and deliverer and redeemer. And he has all the power necessary to set you free. And because he loves you, he knows that none of those things will ultimately come through for you. I love these words from Dallas Willard. Listen to what he says about who Jesus is and what he can do to bring healing. Willard says, at the literally mundane level, Jesus knew how to transform the molecular structure of water to make it wine. That knowledge has also uh, also allowed him to take a few pieces of bread and fish and feed thousands of people He knew how to transform the tissues of the human body from sickness to health and from death to life. He knew how to suspend gravity, interrupt weather patterns, and eliminate unfruitful trees without saw or axe. He only needed a word. Surely, he must be amused at what Nobel Prizes are awarded for today. Surely, surely. All these things must show Jesus' cognitive and practical mastery of every phase of reality, physical, moral, and spiritual. Listen, he is master only because he is maestro. He's not just nice, he's brilliant. He is the smartest man who ever lived. And he is now supervising the entire course of human history while simultaneously preparing the rest of the universe for our future role in it. That's Jesus. Let me say it again. You will never come to Jesus for help unless you're convinced to the core of your being that he has the power to do anything, change anyone, or intervene in any circumstance. That's his identity. That's who he is. Secondly, we need to consider his inclination. Inclination. You see, it's one thing to know that Jesus is able, that he is, 
has the power to heal our brokenness and deep woundedness. But I'll tell you, the real question that plagues so many of us is not whether he's able, but the other question, the question is whether he's willing. Is he willing? I love this part of the story. Blind Bartimaeus yells out at Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And above all the noise and distraction, Jesus hears his cry. Look at the response. And Jesus stopped, verse 40, and commanded him to be brought to him. I love that. Commanded him. Jesus is willing to be interrupted. He hears the cry of this desperate man, and he commanded him to be brought to him. I'll tell you why this matters. It matters because while most of us hold to the conviction that God has absolute power... Deep down, we wrestle wondering. We we wonder if God really will come through for us when we need him most. We wonder, does God really care about my needs and my burdens and my struggles? See, when Jesus is presented with this cry for help, he does not respond to the way the disciples responded. He doesn't say, I'm busy, I'm headed to Jerusalem, I have important things to take care of. I've got a lot on my mind. One of the important things this teaches us, please get this, is that our brokenness never repels Jesus and our needs never inconvenience him. Say it again. Our brokenness never repels Jesus. And our needs never inconvenience him. Jesus has a heart that is inclined to help us. Often when we pray, we just go through the motions. We really don't pray with confidence and faith because deep down, we don't really expect God to do much with our prayers. Let's be honest. But I remind you this morning that God takes our prayers very seriously. Remind you one of the classic passages on prayer from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says this in Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Just let these words wash over you. Ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. For which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? God is inclined to hear and answer our prayers. He's your good and perfect Father in heaven, and he longs to give good gifts to his children. So remember, not only is Jesus' identity that he is able to help you, he has the power, no matter what you face, but that he is willing, he longs to bless, he's looking for ways to open the gates of heaven and to pour out his goodness to his children. Jesus' identity, Jesus' inclination, Jesus' invitation. This is really the high point of the whole story. 
as the blind man is brought to Jesus, maybe trembling, not sure what to expect. And now face to face with Jesus, as Jesus extends him the invitation of a lifetime, verse 41, I think some of the most beautiful words in the Bible. Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you? And we can only imagine how these words must have melted his heart. All of his life, this man has been the beggar. He's been the one pleading, asking other people to help him. Now, now, Jesus stands before him, submitting himself to him. What can I do for you, Jesus asks. How can I help you? He can hardly believe it. He's maybe having a difficult time choking out the words. Maybe he's rehearsed these words a thousand, thousand times in his mind. He says, Lord, Lord, let me recover my sight. Before we look at Jesus' intervention, there's something I want you to know about the invitation of Jesus, and it's simply this, that Jesus is offering the same invitation to you this morning. He's asking, what do you want me to do for you? Did you hear that? Jesus asked that question of you. It's often repeated again and again in the gospel like this, John 14, 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And normally when I hear people teach on that promise, maybe you have two like that one, they're quick to insert a list of qualifiers. Like, well, you know, you can't ask, you know, you can't ask Jesus to help you win the lottery, they will say. Or, you know, you can't ask him to do anything that, that won't conform to his will or this or this will you know, give you a, a long list of qualifiers. And I guess that's fine. But I'll tell you what I see in my own life. It's not really that I, that I, that I ask God for too much. It's, it's, if I'm honest with you, it's that really I don't ask God for nearly, nearly enough. You think how strange this story would be if upon hearing Jesus' invitation to help him, Barnabas would reply to Jesus and say, Jesus, no, really, I'm fine. I'll just deal with this myself. Thank you very much. I'm okay. But the more I think about it, that's often my response to Jesus. Jesus says to me, come to me, all of you who are weary, and I will give you rest. And my response, because of my own self-sufficiency, because of my own spiritual stupidity, I say, no, Jesus, that's fine. I've really learned to cope with these things myself fairly well. And so I'm fine. I don't think I really need any help. Some of you are carrying a very heavy burden this morning. And it's about to break you. You hear the invitation of Jesus. Cast all your anxieties. Cast all your burdens on me because I care for you, he says. And without maybe realizing it, your response to him is, no, Jesus, I have it under control myself. Thank you very much. I'll manage it myself. Thank you. I've gotten good at this. And I can just tell you, you were not made for that. You are not made to carry your own burdens. 
And so every time you fall on your knees, every time you take God up on your, his invitation, you're demonstrating again that you believe that, is able, that he's able and that you're demonstrating a confidence <laughs> that he is willing, that you matter to him and that he'll take that burden away from you. And maybe Jesus is whispering to some of you right now, what do you want me to do for you? Will you take him at his word? Will you, will you give to him that burden that he wants to carry? The identity of Jesus, the inclination of Jesus, the invitation of Jesus, and then lastly, the intervention of Jesus Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? The blind Barnabas says, Lord, I want, I want to see. Verse 42, Jesus says to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. He opens his eyes, and for the first time in his life, the first face he sees is the face of Jesus. And that's a face he would never forget for the rest of his life. Mm. And did you notice the response to the healing intervention to Jesus? Not just with Barnabas, but with the crowd, everybody who saw it. He followed Jesus, and we're told all the people praised God. The thing about people's lives being transformed, they love to tell the story, right? I once was blind, but now I see, and it was Jesus. I once was lost, but now I'm found, and it was Jesus. I once was an alien and a stranger, but now I'm a citizen, and now I'm a friend, and it was Jesus. And it was all because of Jesus, See, those who have received the healing touch of Jesus are transformed, transformed into what? Transformed into great worshipers, right? And while you have heartaches and disappointments and deep soul wounds that Jesus longs to heal, and sometimes healing doesn't come fully, it doesn't come quickly for some of our wounds and disappointments and heartaches. Full healing doesn't come even in this world fully. We need to remember this as we close. And that is that our greatest need, the deepest wound, Jesus has already healed. And that is the deadly consequence, the destructive nature of sin and the havoc that it has created on our human soul. You know, what does is, what is, what is Romans 6, 23 say? For, for the wages, for the wages, what we've earned in, in our sin, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's the good news of the gospel. And that in receiving the the healing intervention, following Jesus, praising God, we, we get to tell the story 
of his amazing grace, of his kind mercy. And, and if living with that sense of awe and gratitude for what God has done for us allows us to tell our story and share that with the world, no matter what challenge we, we face in this world, we can live with the hope and freedom that there will be a day where all of our wounds and all of our brokenness will be restored. It, it may be here that you're here this morning and you've never really experienced that level of forgiveness and soul restoration. And boy, if that's the case, just know that Jesus is asking you that question this morning. What can I do for you? And in that question is, can, can, I, can I extend my, my forgiveness to you, my, my gift of, of, of restoration of your soul? Come to me, he says. Experience life and forgiveness and renewal in me. Wh- whatever you need from, from Jesus this morning, just know that he, he's enough. He, he's able to forgive sins. He's, he's not repelled, put off, too busy. He's, he's, his arms are open wide this morning to you. And uh, whatever it is that you're carrying this morning that's weighing you down, uh, I invite you to give that over to him. Um, I'm going to just offer each of you a moment just to be quiet and to transfer whatever load that is over to him um, before I uh, offer my closing prayer. Just a time to be quiet and to give over to the Lord whatever burden that is. And it's beautiful that we go to the Lord's table to be reminded of the cost that Jesus paid in order to take that burden from us. So let's just enter into a brief time of, of just quiet as we transfer over to him, cast our burdens on him, knowing that he cares for us, and then I'll close this in a prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you um, for this beautiful reminder this morning that you stopped to help uh, desperate people uh, like a blind man in Jericho and uh, broken people just like us. Thank you for extending your healing power uh, to reach into the sin-stained people through your grace and your shed blood. 
Uh, We need your grace to intervene in our lives. Hear us and help us. Uh, You're a friend of sinners. You're a mighty Savior for all who turn to you. Thank you uh, for your kind mercy. Lift our hearts. Allow us to take our focus away from our wrongness and our um, insufficiency to your rightness and your sufficiency this morning. You are all that we need. You are our, our, you are our every hope, and it's in you that we put our faith. In your beautiful name, amen. Amen.